Have you ever had your trust broken before? I'm sure you have. Whether it was a friend, a family member, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, even your spouse or your kids, right? It's never fun to be lied to, to be let down, or even to be let go of. None of these things are things that we like or that we want to happen to us, but it is inevitable that we are going to have those things happen to us in our lives. People will break your trust. Whether it's something small like your husband forgetting to do a chore that he said he would do for the thousandth time, come on now, you know what I'm talking about, a little tiny break of trust over and over, or maybe it could be something large and it's something catastrophic like having your wife cheat on you with your best friend and your marriage falls apart, right? I mean, it could be something massive, it could be something small, but I think we would all agree that the, the, the human existence, we have all either broken somebody's trust before, and we've also had our trust broken. Can we all agree on that? Amen, right? It's happened to us, and it's going to continue to happen. I hate to tell you, but it's what's going to happen in our lives. And, and so what I want to talk to you about today uh, is trust, and the title of the message is, Do You Trust Me? So somebody turn to your neighbor and say, Do You Trust Me? And all the wives just said, mm-mm, Nope. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry. I mean, I made you say it. You know, they're just sitting there like, I mean, he, told me to, he told me to ask you anyway. So trust is a vital component of every relationship. It's a, it's a vital component of every marriage. So how do we as Christians build trust within our relationships? And how do we learn to trust again after it has been broken? I think that's probably the hardest part. I believe that God's word has a few principles that we can look to uh, to help us to learn how to trust and to be trustworthy. So the first verse we have for you, uh, we're going to look at a few today. They'll be on the screen. Psalm 118.8 says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And all the single ladies said, yes, Lord, I ain't put my trust in no man. I don't need him, right? I trust in the Lord, right? You know, it's like... All right, that's not what that verse is saying, okay? Like, I get it. Yes, it is good to trust in the Lord, but you're taking that a little out of context, people. Uh, it is better to trust in the Lord, but that's not what that verse exactly means. Um, the one person who wrote it, his name was David, and he was no stranger to uh, a break of trust. He had been betrayed many times by the people that were supposed to be as very close to him. And also, he himself pretty unfaithful at one point when he took Bathsheba, who was married to another man, into his own bedroom. And so David, he, he is this man who has had the same human existence as you and as me. He's broken trust and he's had his trust broken. And he had to learn that while man will fail us, and sometimes and, and often will fail us, we still do need each other. And you might say, well, yeah, I've been hurt before. Right? Like, like David could say, you know, I've been hurt by all these people. Like, why, why am I supposed to trust people again? How am I supposed to trust? And maybe in your life, you can, you're already starting to think of some ways that maybe people have broken your trust in your life, whether in your marriage, your relationship, or a mom or a dad, or whatever it might be, a coworker, friend. I've been hurt before. It's hard for me to trust people. Listen, I get it. Why? Because people are messed up. I mean, people lie. People are selfish. That's our human nature. But God himself thought that it was better for man to have a partner. God himself instituted marriage and gave us principles to live by within those marriages. And at its core, what is marriage? Marriage is simply a covenant between two people saying, we're gonna fully trust one another with our lives. So if God instituted it, and if it requires trust, which every relationship does, don't you think that God would be able and willing to help us learn how to trust one another? Yeah? 
Proverbs 3.5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. That is a, a pretty familiar verse. Most of us, if you've been in church for any period of time, even if you haven't, you might know that verse. And, and I want to kind of submit it to you maybe in a little bit of a different spin today. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. We understand that, right? I mean, we all understand that God is faithful, that we can put our trust in him because he is good. Amen? Come on. Uh, but, but do not lean on your own understanding. I would almost like to submit it to you like this. I trust in God. I trust in him. And I will lean on him so that I can trust you. I will lean on him when you fail me, I lean on God, right? So I am not leaning on my own understanding, thinking that you're gonna fail me again and again. You know what? Even if you have failed me, I'm gonna be able to be secure in who I am. I'm gonna be able to trust in God. And when I think that you might fail me again, I'm not gonna listen to what the voice inside of my head is saying. I'm gonna listen to what God says. I'm gonna trust in him so that I can learn to trust you. But here's the problem. If you aren't secure in your relationship with God, you'll think that the end of a relationship is the end of your emotional stability, right? How many of you ever seen somebody like that before? High schoolers, okay? College kids, grown adults, okay? Like, I mean, like everybody, I feel like, but specifically in high school, you know, like they break up and it is just like the end of the absolute world. It's like their world is, and it's just completely over. Uh, and what they don't realize yet is that people come and go. But, but they should not have the ability to alter your emotional health and your emotional stability. Why? Because you are still a child of God, amen? You're still here, you're still strong, and you still have worth and value even if nobody else around you sees it. Why? Because God says that you have worth and value. And you will always be more willing to risk trusting someone when you know that the Lord has your back. When the Lord has your back and when you're leaning on him you're not leaning on your own understanding. You're going to be more willing to trust your spouse. You're going to be more willing to trust others. And so uh, what I want to do right now is, is do a little exercise. And I actually was, I was supposed to get somebody for this beforehand, but I didn't. So what I'm going to do is, uh, you know what? I'm going to get, uh, Pastor Tim, can you come up here? Come on, everybody. Give it up for Pastor Tim. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, put a pep in your step, my man. Oh, my goodness. He's, he's like, I'm, I'm a worship pastor. I'm cool. What's up? I'm just going to trot up here. All right, come on. I didn't tell you I was going to do this. I probably should have. Uh, you're going to hate me. Have any of y'all ever done a trust fall before? No. No, no, come on, come on, uh, a trust fall exercise. I absolutely love them. I think they're hilarious. Um, I did one when I was in a, a, a leadership class, like a leadership thing that we did when I was in eighth grade. And we did a ton of like leadership development stuff, team building exercises. We've done this kind of stuff at staff retreats at different churches before, whatever. Um, but, but, but I want to demonstrate a little bit of this, this trust fall kind of stuff here. Okay. So Tim, I need you to come over here. All right. Come on, hold on. Yeah. Like, let's go over here. Come on. All right. Right here. All right. All right. So uh, I need to turn around. <clears throat> no, I'm not falling. You're falling. <laughs> Are you serious? You thought I was going to fall? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> okay, all right. Let's, let's go maybe a little, little one step. I don't want to run into that thing like... No, I got you. I got you. I got you. I'll just... All right, ready? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to ask you to fall back, and then I'm going to catch you. I will do, I'll do like a little tiny one at first. Ready? One, two, three. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now, now they're bad. Now they're bad. Let's go a little farther, you know what I'm saying? Okay, here we go. All right, one, two, three, go. There we go. All right, we're going to do one more really good one. And my, my physical therapist uh, is his wife, and she's sitting in the back right now running the audio. Uh, and I know my back's messed up, but Emily, I promise I'm, I'm supporting. Okay, here we go. All right, last one. Here we go. I won't drop your husband. All right, one, two, three, go. Oh, man. 
everybody give it up for Tim. All right. Thank you, Tim. Okay, so uh, we did a little trust fall action there. Uh, and the reason I did that is because everybody has the same reaction when you ask them to do a trust fall exercise. It's, uh, really? Like, do we have to? You know, like, I don't really want to do this right now. And people are a little bit nervous at first, okay? Uh, but then... Uh, you noticed about the, the second and third time that we did it, you know, he was a little bit more willing to kind of go back into me, right? Like the first time he really did not want to, okay? And so I started with a little baby step. I was like, oh, I'll just do a little one first and then we'll go a little bit more, a little bit more. And then he, by the third one, he was, he was pretty comfortable anyway. It was about as comfortable as he could be falling back with a dude with a mic in his hand. But <laughs> the point I want to make to you today is this is how relationships work, okay? At the very beginning of a relationship, you meet somebody and you're like, oh, they're cute, right? But you have no level of trust with them whatsoever, okay? And so what do you do? You're a little nervous to lean into them. You're a little nervous to fall back and to let your trust be handled by somebody else that you barely know. And so you're a little nervous, you go back and then you realize like, okay, they caught me, like I'm good. You know, I can, can trust them with, with this or, or with, with the money or I can trust them with taking care of me or, uh, or, or, or paying for my dinner, you know, making sure that they value me and give me flowers and stuff. You know, the cute little things we do in the beginning of a relationship, all right, you know, that you still do in a relationship, right? Okay, anyway. <laughs> so as you fall back a little bit more, you start to get more comfortable. And over time, you'll be more comfortable with just like, all right, catch, you know what I mean? Like you just jump back into them because you know that you can trust them. But what would happen if I would have let, I almost wanted to like do this, but I was like, that's really mean. Like I wanted to let somebody fall <laughs> as part of the illustration. It would just have been so great, but I decided not to do that. So um, what would happen if I would have let Tim fall on the fourth one? Okay. And then I said, all right, Tim, you ready for number five? You know what I mean? What, he falls down and, and cracks his booty on the ground and falls back, hits his head. He gets up. You think he's going to want to jump right back into my arms? Absolutely not. Right. So the first point I have for you is that trust is built over time, but it breaks in an instant. It breaks in an instant. Trust is built in relationships over the long haul. But man, sometimes you do one thing and it is gone. And it takes a long, long time to build it back up. And it's not even necessarily that it's just one big thing like cheating or, 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 or spending a ton of money and getting in debt or, or, or abusing somebody. It doesn't have to be necessarily that. But it could be little things over time that add up into this level of, hey, we're drifting apart. And, and many times that's actually how it ends up happening is it's a slow drift apart where now I don't trust you anymore because you've slowly let me down at little tiny points along the way. You've slowly let me fall farther and farther back until now I'm just on the ground and you're over here doing something else. That's usually how it ends up happening. But trust, trust is built over time, but it can break in an instant. And what I wanna encourage you with today is there might be some people out there that, that the trust has been broken in a relationship and you feel this obligation to, to stay with this person. You feel this obligation uh, to make it work. And while I think that's honorable, I wanna make sure that we know this, okay? Just because you forgive somebody and just because you love somebody does not mean you have to trust somebody and give them the same level of access that they had to your life before they broke your trust. You understand? You do not have to do that. Why? Because that, that, that could just get you into a terrible place where you're in a toxic relationship, all right? And you let this person abuse you. You let this person emotionally manipulate you. And I want to make sure I say that because there is people out there, there are people out there that will do that to you. And you have to be on guard 
The Bible says to guard your heart, and, and yes, that does mean to guard your heart from sin, but I also believe that there's many passages in that as well that helps us to understand that we're supposed to guard our mental health, guard ourselves, right, from people that are not looking out for our best interests, okay? Uh, because we have a job to do, and that's to help people find Jesus, okay, right? We have, we're on mission in our lives, and if you're not with somebody that's on mission with you, man, that's going to be really difficult to help people find Jesus when somebody is pulling you down and holding you back. But there are people out there that are able and willing when that trust is broken in an instant to rebuild that trust. And that is a noble thing to do. That is a hard thing to do because that trust does break in an instant. So I want to encourage you. Maybe if you're in that kind of a relationship right now where trust has been broken, it is possible. I've seen it time and time again. Somebody's cheated on somebody. Uh, somebody has ha, ha, drank too much alcohol, been on drugs, got thrown in jail, whatever it might be, like some crazy stuff, okay? And then they end up coming back and, and the wife or the husband, they stick with that person and they make it work and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing when it does, okay? And, and I want to encourage you that God is a God of the impossible. And any relationship that is broken in this place today or any relationship that you've ever seen that has been broken can be mended if these two people decide that they're going to trust in God, not lean on their own understanding, and trust in one another. It is possible, and it does happen all the time, and it is a beautiful thing that God does for us. God is a God of second chances. You believe that today? Come on. Trust is built over time, but it breaks in an instant. And there's another thing uh, that, I, that I like to talk about when it comes to trust, and it's this idea of accountability versus trust, okay? Like, like, a lot of people would say that they're opposed to one another in a sense. Like if you have accountability, then that must mean that you don't trust your spouse. You don't trust the person you're with. Or, or, or if you have this trust in this person that's so strong, well, then maybe we don't actually need any accountability with that person because I trust them so much. I don't need any accountability at all. Like I'm going to let them do their thing. And I don't think that that is necessarily either one of those are the way to go. Uh, and I want to submit this to you, that living with accountability does not equal a lack of trust. And I think I might have put it on there, living a life of, above reproach does not equal a lack of trust, okay? There's this app called the Life360 app. Does anybody have that app? Or, or like find my friends or like an app that like tracks, you know, like your friends and family where they go or whatever, that kind of stuff. Okay. So the Life360 app, parents, you're going to love me if you haven't heard of this yet. All right. It is a great, great app uh, that it tracks where you're at. Uh, it can give like GPS coordinates, but it's also really cool because it can even show how fast uh, somebody's driving. Okay, so if you have a kid that's driving on the highway going 95, all right, you'll know that. And when they get home, you can give them a little discipline, a little something, something, you know, like get to your room, Mr. 100 mile an hour. Okay, you know what I mean? Uh, and so you can tell if they're not at school and they're ditching, okay, and like they can't do anything about it. You can like set it to where they can't get out of it. It's pretty cool. I can't wait until Oakland gets older so I can track his little booty, all right? But anyway, my wife, when I first got with her, her family used it, and I hated it, okay? <laughs> I thought it was so dumb. I was like, this is an invasion of my privacy. She asked me if I'd be on it. And at first I was like, I don't really want to. Like, this is weird, you know? I don't want to do this. And I hated it. It was like invasion of my privacy. Like, are you stalking me? Like, do you don't trust me? Like, what, what's going on? But then I realized it was a really good thing. All right? And I will tell you why. Um, there's the most annoying text in the world that men get. I feel like it's normally men. Could be women. But a lot of times it's the men. The where are you text. <laughs> 
What are you doing text? The how long will it be until you get home text, all right? You know what I'm talking about, okay? I never have to worry about that because she knows exactly where I'm at. So I never have to respond to that text. I'm just kidding. She, half the time, she just looks it up and she knows where I'm at. I even have a shared calendar. I put all my appointments in. Uh, if I'm going anywhere, if I have a phone call, if I have a meeting, I have all of it in my calendar that it updates to the cloud that she also has. And so whenever I have a meeting, she can just look on her phone and say, oh, well, he's in a meeting uh, and look on Life 360. He's at the coffee shop with so-and-so still. Okay, I won't mess with him. I won't bother him. That is really, really helpful, okay? But then my second favorite thing about it is that she knows when I'm headed home. So when she's headed home or when I'm headed home from a long trip or being out with meetings, or whatever, my son and Lindsay sometimes will be at the open door waiting for me when I get home and they scream, Daddy, you're home. You know, it's the best feeling in the world. If you're a dad, you know how that feels. But then my ultimate favorite reason for advocating for the Life360 app, okay, aside from great accountability, I'll get to that in a second. But for me personally, uh, is when I'm about 30, 45 minutes away, this beautiful, beautiful wife of mine, Lindsay, standing at the back right now, you're so beautiful. She will have dinner ready the second I walk in the door because she knew exactly how long it was going to take me to get home. She'll have it hot and ready on the table. And that is a blessing from the Lord. Men say amen. Come on now. That is a beautiful thing. Thank you, Lindsay. She's a great cook, y'all too. I'll have her cook for y'all eventually, something like that. So uh, I just signed you up for something. Sorry, babe. And I love that though, because I have that accountability, okay? And I can come home and, and they know when I'm out that, that daddy is out working and providing for the family, doing what he needs to do. And they know exactly where I'm at, where I'm at who I'm meeting with, how long I'm going to be there, okay? And when I, and I get home and I have that comfort and that knowledge of, you know what? Like I feel confident that I'm living a life that honors God and honors my family, that honors my son. I'm living a life above reproach because if anybody ever tried to say anything against me or say that I was somewhere that I was not, I will literally have proof that shows exactly where I was, who I was with. My wife knows where I was at and you cannot tell me that I was doing something I was not supposed to be doing. So uh, for all of you that do not use a Life360 app or an app like that, I would encourage you to do that. But I know there's some of you sitting out there that are cringing right now at the idea of your wife or your husband knowing exactly where you're at at all times, okay? I understand that. I get it. I'm not saying you necessarily have to do it, but some people would say, well, why can't you just trust yourself to not do something stupid, okay? Or, or why can't your wife just trust you? She obviously doesn't trust you. And what I would say to that is my next point, and I want you to write this down. Putting yourself in situations where you can fail is not a good test of your faith. It is a bad test of your flesh. That is a bad test of your flesh. We are all sinful, we all fall short of the glory of God. And people be trying to put themselves in situations where they can fail. Listen, if you're an alcoholic and you're walking into a bar because you think that you're good now and you can hold up, why would you do that? Get out of the bar. <laughs> don't put yourself in that situation. Don't do that. If you're burning with lust, get out of the club. If you're looking at porn on your computer, get a web blocker. If you smoke when you're around these friends, get some different friends. And if you're a liar, go be a politician. You'll be great at it. I thought that was a good one. <laughs> Craig Rochelle said this, a pastor of Life Church. Uh, it's the largest church in the U.S., have like 35 campuses, something stupid like that. He said this, and I love it. Today, my life is set up so it'd be very hard to fail, not because I plan on failing, but because I plan on not failing. My internet access is monitored. I have no access to the church finances. My salary is set by lay people. I haven't been alone with a woman besides my wife, and I don't know how long. I never travel anywhere alone. Every moment of my day is kept accountable by someone. 
And this is a pastor of the largest church in the U.S. And I love this about him. I absolutely love that. And this is originally known as the Billy Graham rule. You ever heard about this? It's kind of got some bad press, honestly, the last couple of years. Uh, but people have, have taken this rule uh, that was originally called the Modesto Manifesto. It was Billy Graham and a few other pastors and evangelists that got together. They said, what are the things that are, that are difficult for pastors and evangelists where we see them getting tripped up in their ministry and they have to step down because of various reasons. And, and, and there was four of them, but one of them ended up becoming known as the Billy Graham rule, where they would never uh, travel alone or meet alone with a woman or anything like that. Uh, and what was originally meant to protect pastors and ministers from sin and from the appearance of sin was unfortunately kind of distorted into this super sexist rule that limits any interaction with women to like an extreme degree, okay? And that wasn't the intent of the rule at all. So you might be thinking, okay, how does this apply to my marriage and my relationships? Like, let's bring it back to trust. Let's bring it back to me. How do you apply that in your life? I think it would just be beneficial to all of us. Just have a conversation with your spouse. Have a conversation with your spouse about expectations for communicating with and meeting with someone of the opposite sex. What are you okay with? What are you not okay with? What are some mutually agreed upon guidelines, right, that we can follow to keep ourselves out of unnecessary temptation? to keep our marriage healthy, to keep our integrity from being questioned, and to keep trust intact. And if there needs to be an exception, listen, that's fine, okay? But how do we communicate that when it comes up? It's all about communicating with one another. Trust is built, and you can write this down if you want to. It's not on here, but trust is built when expectations are communicated clearly, and those expectations are met on a consistent basis. Trust is built when expectations are communicated clearly, and those expectations are met on a consistent basis. Do not wait until something goes wrong to communicate an expectation. How many of you have been guilty of that before, right? Like somebody does something wrong, you know, like you, you did this and you weren't supposed to. Well, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to. Well, now it's being communicated after the fact and now we're in an argument because of it, right? That's not what you want to do. You want to get ahead of the game. You don't want to plan on failing. You want to plan on not failing. So, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about communication next week. So that was a little teaser of next week and what we're going to get into about communication. Uh, but it's just like when you see uh, the bottle of bleach. You ever seen like bottles of bleach or, or like, like rat poison or like so, any kind of bottle with anything that you're not supposed to drink? And it always has the thing on there that says do not consume, right? Why does it say it on there? Because some dum-dum consumed it one time and they had to put it on the bottle, right? There's always somebody that's done something like that. And I know people today, they'd be like, well, it's the generation today, you know, they have like, uh, you know, they eat Tide Pods now, okay? So like, they're just crazy people. Listen, it's been a thousands-year-old problem. Why? Because we are a covenant-breaking people. If there's a rule in place, we will break it, right? That is human nature to break rules. And, and, and so uh, every time God gave Israelites a law, they would break it. They were constantly pushing the envelope all the way back to Adam and Eve. From the very beginning of time, Adam and Eve broke the very be beginning covenant that they had, and almost immediately it was broken. It's our, in our nature to rebel against God, to break promises, to look out for ourselves, to be selfish. This is why God had to set up the law. And he gave these people rules and guidelines to follow, not so that he could restrict them, but to set them up for success. So I think we could all, let's take a poll real quick, all right? Uh, do you think that killing someone is bad? Raise your hand, okay? We can all agree. Do you think cheating on your spouse is bad? Raise your hand. We can all agree with that, okay? These are widely accepted societal norms, okay? But these are also biblical principles. In the Bible, it says, thou shalt not 
kill, all right? You know what I'm saying? And then uh, Jesus actually comes back and takes things a little bit further, though, which is what I love about Jesus. He says, if you're burning with anger in your heart against a brother, you've basically already, you're killing him in your heart. He takes it even further with this covenant of marriage. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. How many of y'all ever looked at somebody and been like, hmm, right? Don't raise your hand, okay? You know? <laughs> I'm not trying to sell you out. <laughs> Lady's like, oh, Thor, you know what I mean? And it's like, whoa, come on now. <laughs> this might be innocent, okay? And it's like, all right, you know, I can, I can look at somebody and understand that they're attractive, okay? But, but the desire for physical intimacy with somebody outside of the marriage covenant, Jesus takes a radical, radical stance on that. Do not let your thoughts dominate you. Because if you do, your thoughts will take control of your life. Why? Every affair starts with a thought. It starts as a simple friendship. You might find this person attractive, right? But, but, but you don't really think about it too much. You think, well, I can say that they're attractive, right? I mean, they just are. They're attractive, you know, and it might not be much. Then you start to share a moment or moments with this person, maybe should have been shared with your spouse. Then you start to have conversations with this person, maybe should probably only be had with your spouse, and then it turns into something a lot deeper and it turns into an emotional connection with this person and it leads into what we call an emotional affair. And every emotional affair starts with a sinful thought about another person and every sinful thought about another person starts when you are not taking captive every single thought in your mind like the Bible commands us to. I'll put it like this. You can either capture your thoughts or your thoughts will capture you. You can either capture your thoughts or your thoughts are going to capture you. It is one way or the other. That is the only way that it's going to happen. You can either take control of your thought life or your thoughts will take control of you. The consequences of not doing it, though, will maybe lead to a life of sin, depression, infidelity, doubt in God, and ultimately, potentially, when it comes to relationships, could end in divorce, right? Divorce is a hard one, okay? Malachi 2.16, for I hate divorce, says the Lord. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's army. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. I wish that we would have a generation of people that would have enough with the divorce rate that is in our nation. Could we have a generation of people? Could we have some people in Kyle, Texas today that would stand up for faithfulness in a marriage that would say, I'm not gonna stop when things get hard. I'm not gonna quit out on you, but I'm gonna stick with you. We're gonna figure this thing out. Do we have a group of people that are still in the covenantal relationship with one another that God has instituted from the very beginning of time do we have anybody here today that would say, hey, listen, I'm going to stand up for faithfulness in marriage and faithfulness in relationships. I want us to be a church that does that. A marriage covenant is still sacred in the eyes of God. It's between one man and a woman for life. Like where's, where's the faithfulness of God's people gone? It's like we're just moving on to the next iPhone model or something like that. You know what I mean? Like that's how it feels nowadays. And Christian divorce is the same as non-Christian. Isn't that a shocking stat? the percentages are almost the exact same. You would think that would be radically different. And what would happen if God's people loved one another like Christ loved the church? Hebrews 13, five, I will never leave you or forsake you. We say something like that in our vows, don't we? I will never leave you or forsake you. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. What does it mean to love like Jesus loved us? You have to die to yourself and put them above you every single day of your life. It's not about you any longer, it's about us. That is the biblical definition of marriage. I want to see healthy and strong marriages here 
at Radical Church, and I want to see marriages come out of Radical Church, people meeting here and getting married. I would absolutely love that. I want to see more of that. Strong commitments to God and one another, a willingness to fight for one another, not against each other. You want to know what the ultimate relationship goal is? It's, it's not this, this Instagram influencer, you know, sexy, cool-looking thing, but I want to see marriages that last for 50, 60, 70 years, people. That is the ultimate relationship goal. In Hollywood, that's not going to make the headlines. But that is what your kids are going to see. That's what your family is going to see. That's what they're going to have to look at. Your kids will have that example when you say yes to one another the same way that Jesus said yes to you when he died on the cross. You're going to have that same example for your kids. And sometimes it doesn't go that way. I understand. Marriages fail. I get it. I mean, we're, we're all messed up. We're all sinful. We talk about that. We all fall short of the glory of God. We fail sometimes. But God can heal your wounds. He can heal your broken heart. And I know there's some people that have been divorced, some people that have been divorced and remarried in this place. And I always want to make sure I say this. I don't want you to ever feel guilt or shame for trying to come to church and be in this place. The church has done a terrible, terrible job of dealing with people that have had divorce in their lives. I mean, can I get an amen? Like, we've done a terrible job, but we need to do better. Can we do better? Can we help people get past their past and move on to what God has for them in their future? Just the same as you and I were dead in our sin, we all have sin. We all have things in our lives and we need to be able to help people move forward into the next season of their lives. God can wash away all the sin that's in your life. If you were the one, you know you messed up, right? You know that it was, it was your fault. He can wash away that sin. He can cleanse your mind. He can help you to move on and to be successful in whatever relationships maybe come after that. If you've been hurt by somebody, maybe they've been unfaithful to you. They put you down. They've broken your trust. They've been unfaithful to you. Your mom or dad wasn't there for you as a kid. Somebody walked out on you. Your spouse left you, cheated on you, maybe. Maybe you're trying to hold that marriage together right now. Maybe you're in this place and you're saying, man, we're on our last the last leg. We're trying to hold it together right now. I want you to understand that today is time for us to learn to trust again. I, I want you to be able to trust again if you've been hurt. Not out of naivety, okay? But out of security, knowing who you are in Christ. You can stand up saying, listen, I'm not broken by my past. I'm whole in my identity in Christ. I'm not defeated, feeling like I can't trust anybody. I can stand up and say, my past is not destined to repeat itself. No, no, no. I am victorious in Christ. And I can trust you because I trust God and because I know that my best days are ahead of me, not behind me. Amen? Does anybody believe that today in the house of God, that our best days are still ahead of us? Come on. In our relationships, in our walk with God. Maybe you're in this place and you're breaking your trust with your spouse right now. And they don't know it yet. You're hiding in your sin. You need to ask for some forgiveness today. You can't let your thoughts control you any longer. You can't let that stuff control. You got to take captive every thought. You have to ask for forgiveness. And listen, if you ignore it, it will control you. It will. Everything that's in the dark will come to light. So take control of that situation right now and do what you need to do to get your relationship healthy right now. Because I promise if you don't, it'll be way worse. Make sure you do what you need to do. If you're divorced, maybe you mess up in a marriage, your spouse has forgiven you, but you've never forgiven yourself, it's time to forgive yourself. I'm talking to a lot of different people in the room today with a lot of different things, all right? Some of this is real heavy, okay, I understand. And you're all in different places in your marriages and, and maybe you're single and maybe you're just taking notes for the future, good. You need to forgive yourself. It's time to let go of your guilt, your shame, your condemnation because there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, amen? 
The old is gone and the new has come. And ultimately, I want to remind all of us that our trust is not in man, but it is in God. That's at the, at the core of it, our trust is in God and we can lean on him so that I can lean on you. Amen. Let's stand up. I want to pray quickly with you today. And I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand or anything like that because I know it's some sensitive stuff, all right? And you might be standing next to the person that you're going through some of this with, okay? So I want to be respectful of that. But I want you in your own heart to say, you know what, is this me? Have I been hurt before? Have I hurt somebody else before? Do I need to forgive myself? Do I need to forgive somebody else? Do I need to walk away from a relationship? Do I need to learn to trust and get into this relationship I've been putting off? And do I trust God with my whole heart? Whatever that might be for you, wherever you're at, I want to pray with you right now. So I want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. I'm going to ask God to bless each and every one of you and ask his supernatural power to mend relationships today, mend broken hearts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask you right now, Father, wherever anybody is at in this room today, whether they have been hurt, whether they have been the one doing the hurt, God, would you bring them back to you? Would you bring them to a place of deep a connection with you, trust with you, that we trust in you more than we trust in man, but God, we lean into you so that we can lean into our spouses, so that I can lean into, into my wife, that she can lean into me, so that I can get into a, a relationship maybe, and, and, or maybe if I've been hurt by somebody in the past that, I can learn to move on from that thing, that I have value, that I am strong, that I'm still here. My emotional stability doesn't have to go to the extremes, to the highs and to the lows, but God, I can be rooted in you in every day of my life. God, I pray that you would give healthy, healthy marriages to this church right now in the name of Jesus. Everybody that's here, I pray that you would give that to them. Whether they've been divorced before, whether they're in a 40-year marriage right now, God, whether they're single and ready to mingle, it doesn't matter, Lord Jesus. I want you to just, uh, just uh, do a supernatural work in their hearts and in their lives, God. Give us healthy marriages in the church because we know that if we have trust with one another, that, that we can go a lot farther than if we're all on our own. So God, I pray you help us to trust. First and foremost, to trust you and then to trust one another. God, I pray for guilt and condemnation and shame to be gone and cut off in the name of Jesus right now from anybody that's here that feels that way. And God, that there would be great conversations even on the ride home right after church, tonight, tomorrow, conversations that need to be had with these people in this room right now, they'd have those conversations. Phone calls that need to be made, those phone calls would be made and that healing would come from it. Not division, but healing. Lord, I thank you that you have our best interest in mind, that you love us so much. For those of the people that are out here today that, that do not trust in you at all right now, God, I pray that they would make that decision in their heart right now to put their trust and their faith in you. You died on the cross for us and we're so grateful that you've done that so we can have life and life abundantly. God, give them the, the faith to put their trust in you today. It's your name we pray and everybody said, amen, amen. Will you give the Lord a hand clap of praise today? I hope this has been beneficial to you today. I hope you've enjoyed today looking to God's word. Next week, it's all about don't hate, communicate, all right? 
Uh, so that's what we're talking about next week. And then the week after that, we are going to talk about sex. And I'm going to tell you, I want to tell you now so you can prepare. Uh, we're not going to get weird, okay, people? Like, we ain't getting into, like, personal stuff, okay? Uh, but we're going to get into uh, a little bit of, like, what does the Bible say about it, okay? What is the biblical definition of healthy sexuality? Why? If you have sixth, seventh, eighth grade kids, you might be a little nervous about them coming. I encourage you to bring them. And the reason is, is because they're already hearing about it at school. They're already hearing about it on TikTok. They're already hearing about it from Instagram influencers. They're already hearing about it from Netflix and Hulu. So why in the world would we not want them to hear about it from a godly perspective? I do promise not to be weird, all right? We're not gonna get into weird stuff, but we are gonna have a healthy biblical perspective. So bring somebody in the next two weeks. We'll see you, God bless. Have a great day.